Knock This is brought to you by Viserys. Univar ES is now Viserys, the pest control distributor making a positive impact on young businesses. Along with the broad product portfolio of top brands, we offer exclusives like the Intucare Mosquito Trap. And with resources like Pro Training, Inventory Manager, and PestWeb, and over 65 locations nationwide, we provide the products and insights to grow your business. Visit go.viserys.com slash knock this to learn more. Hi, everybody. This is Sam Taggart with the DDD Podcast, and I'm here with Steve Sims. He is an author, a podcast host, a speaker. He has been featured in Forbes, and they deemed him the modern-day Wizard of Oz. And he travels around the country and does crazy stuff. You know, the things that you always are like, man, it would be sick to do this one day. He's like, why not? Let's just do it. And he goes and finds scenarios and, and life experiences that many of us are probably like, wow, I'd, I'd love to do that. So we're going to dive into his whole theory of art of making things happen, which is a book he's written, Bluefish, Art of Making Things Happen. It's probably available on Amazon and um, you can go find him. And uh, yeah, so super honored and uh, privileged to have Steve on the show. And we're going to dive into what I, I've been writing a book and a concept for the last year called The Achievement Formula. And I'm excited to really dive into this art of making things happen. How do you accomplish things? How do you get stuff done? How do you go make your dreams come true? And then we're also going to be talking about communication. I mean, you know, being in sales and being in leadership and being in business and coaching businesses, Steve has a ton of knowledge to bring to our industry when it comes to selling and 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 in our world in which we live in today so i'm super excited to have you on the show steve uh thanks for thanks for being out man it's a pleasure to be here thanks for having me um so so tell us a little bit in a nutshell like who is steve sims like if you had to say like this is who i am who are you uh god um a blunt instrument um, I am the guy that left school at the age of 15 onto a building site in East London, uh, spent most of my life working, uh, being kicked out of every job I applied for and got, ended up working on the door of a nightclub in Hong Kong. And, uh, 20 something years later, um, I've worked with people from Elton John, Elon Musk, uh, the Vatican, uh, Andrea Bocelli and probably richer and more unknown people in the world. So. I'm the guy that goes out and makes things happen. And uh, now I go out and spread my simple approach to people uh, via speaking on stages or coaching them one-on-one. I love it. And when you say you work with these individuals, and I think a lot of people would just be stoked just to hang out with it or shake Elon Musk's hand. Mm -hmm. You didn't just shake Elon Musk's hand. What are the things that you do with these kind of people? Well, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> uh, oh, the, the funny, yeah. The funny thing is that, you know, I, we never, we never say what we got up for them uh, and what we handled for them. Um, the only reason I've mentioned the names that I have mentioned is because I have been documented working with these guys, not from my side. So my website, for argument's sake, never actually says what we did with them. And if one of our clients, we've got a lot of clients that we've dealt with that it's never been publicly made aware of, but a lot of people, a lot of people are very aware of the work I've done with uh, the Branson Foundation and Richard Branson and Eve Branson and Elon Musk within this uh, SpaceX and Sir Elton John. So they they've seen me a lot of times with these people. So it's become public knowledge. But other than that, we've never ever used a client to leverage us business. 
So essentially, your business is what? A lot of people are probably sitting there. What? What? What, what are you guys? What are you guys alluding to? So your main business is now turned into what? So I've got two businesses. One of them is to give billionaires really interesting cocktail stories. So I'm the guy that they watch something on TV and then they text me or phone me and go, hey, Steve, I would like to race a Formula One car or I would like to go down to the Titanic or I would like to uh, hang out in the Vatican and I'm the man that can. I'm the guy that makes the impossible possible. That's one side of my business. And because of the, the price tags and the invoices, I only work with uh, documented billionaires. And the other side of my business, which is the Steve D. Sims brand and through Sims Distillery, is I work with entrepreneurs to get them back to dreaming. So the way that I work there is on one side of the fence, I spend billionaires' money making them more interesting. On the other side of the fence, I focus on your communication, your message, your involvement, what is the solution you are giving, what is the problem that you are the solution for, and how to get entrepreneurs to make more money dream bigger and actually go for the clients that they want and deserve rather than the clients that they get. So I'm working on two sides of the economic fence, but I have to admit the entrepreneur one's more fun because spending a billionaire's money, that's great fun, but actually looking after an entrepreneur and making him successful, that looks after his wife, his kids, his employees, their families. It's a much wider reach. And I've got to admit at the ripe old age of 53, Maybe I'm getting soft in my old age, but I prefer that side. So what came up, like, where did this idea of, I'm going to go give people incredible experiences and making the impossible possible, where did all this come from? Like, where did, like, how did you start? Like, you know, obviously being a multiple entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. I mean, a lot of people in this podcast are probably wondering, like, well, I would want to do that. Like, how do I start that? Like, like how did, what gave you the crazy idea? And then I want to hear kind of the, the quick version of the journey that like created this business out of having a crazy good time with billionaires. So my wife says, if I had a super superhero costume and if I was a superhero, I would have the superhero power of ignorance. Um, The bottom line of it is, is you've just explained why most people don't do what I do. They overthink things. I was working on the door of a nightclub in Hong Kong, and I realized I was poor. I realized that everyone I knew was poor. I realized that whenever we went out for a beer, we could only afford a couple because no one had any money. So the old statement about you are who your friends are and you are the average of the five people, it was obvious I needed to find five rich people. So my goal my one single focus was to get five rich people in my circle. And so as a doorman, I knew all the best nightclubs. I knew all the best parties. I knew all the best premieres. Why? Because I was asked to be on the door of them. So what I started doing was I started building up this Rolodex of affluent clients and saying, hey, look, give me 500 bucks. I'll get you into that premiere. Give me a couple of hundred bucks. I'll sneak you into that private party. And I started doing that and giving them a reason to speak to me. Now, I would charge them always because I've always said, if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. So I would never give anyone mm. a freebie. I'd never give anyone a favor. I'd say, yeah, I can do that, 1,000 bucks, 5,000 bucks, 50 grand, 100 grand, a million. I always charge people, and I charge them well to keep their attention. They don't need the money, but they do need my attention. So that's what I started doing, and I did it 
just to be able to get them to talk to me. If I've got $1,000 of your money and I call you, I can guarantee you're going to answer my phone call. But if I've offered you mm-hmm. something free of charge, eh, maybe something else is busy. Man, you'll call me later. You know? How many times have you bought tickets to a concert or to the movies and you can't go and you give them to your mate and then you say to your mate the following day, hey, how was the concert? Oh, I didn't make it. And you're pissed because you bought yeah. the tickets, but because you gave them away for free, that was the designated value. So if you have mm. tickets for a hundred bucks, go, hey, you can take these tickets, 80 bucks. Guess what? If you charged him 80 bucks, I bet you we would have been at that concert. So I always charged people. And the whole goal in the early stages was just to get rich people to talk to me. I wanted to know how do rich people talk? How do they communicate with each other? What kind of things do they like to do? It was basically an investigatory uh, um, role to find out what was the life of these rich and famous people like. Now, as I started helping them, without realizing it, I was getting referrals. So that introduced Mm -hmm. me to how to get referrals. You know, don't advertise. Get your clients to be your front line of marketing. So I was getting all of these very affluent clients going, hey, can you do this? I can do that. Drop 50 grand in the account and I'll start working on it. All of a sudden, it started mm-hmm. growing and growing and growing and growing. And it just got bigger and bigger. And before I realized it, Bluefish, which was the concierge company, it was one of the first ever concierge firms in the planet. In fact, I will arrogantly say we started the personal concierge industry. You know, we were there before all the others. All the others came to us for supplies and access, help and guidance. And we've worked from everyone from the big companies to the small companies. And from there, it just grew. And I ended up working not only with the big names uh, that I've just mentioned. um, I've worked with the Grammys, the Kentucky Derby, the New York Fashion Week, uh, Bridgehampton Polo, Palm Beach Art Fair, Formula One, Monaco. I've worked with some of the biggest events in the planet. And all the time, I just wanted to speak to rich people. And without realizing it, Mm. I invented my own industry. That is so cool. So you created like a whole new category. And I think a lot of times, you know, everybody's always kind of trying to just copy whatever other successful people are doing. But I think thinking through like, what's a new ocean I can create? What's a new category? What's a new industry that doesn't really exist, but I can go create it and pioneer it. And being sometimes being that first guy to really pioneer, like you said, the whole concierge, the whole, you know, that whole industry now looks up to you and says, hey, you were the thought leader, the pioneer, the one that like took the risk. And obviously you probably have the biggest reward right now because those people you probably sought after just by the billionaires where you're turning people away because you're like, yeah, it's not even interesting for me to go jam with you. You know what I mean? Like you can go call this other company that's begging for business. So that's kind of, that's, that's, that's cool, man. That, that is, that is really cool. So talk to me, talk to me about this whole book, the art of making things happen, Bluefish, art of making things happen. What is your theory of like, when you say art of making things happen, is there a formula to that? Is there a, you know, like what if you had, what are the key components that it takes to make something happen? So I don't want to correct you, but it's actually called blue fishing. Uh, the art of making Fishing. things happen. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, there's a formula, there's a structure, but there's more than anything a mindset. Um, okay. And so the whole book goes through 
And you've got to understand how the book came about, first of all. Um, I was approached by Simon Schuster, one of the largest publishing houses in America, to write a book naming all the rich and famous people that I dealt with and what did they spend money on. And if I did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. So I knew I couldn't mm -hmm. do that. Um, I gave a speech, I think it was on uh, uh, Joe Polish's stage, Genius Network, and someone heard it, passed it over to Simon Schuster, and they came back to me and they said, well, look, instead of writing a book on who you do this for, could you write a book on how you do it and what you do to make these things happen? Ignore the clients, focus on actually getting what's necessary. So mm. we decided to write a how-to book. And it was very good because like anyone writes a book, they learn a lot more about their, in, their internal process than they first acknowledged. So I suddenly started yeah. noticing the habits that I had, the formats, the formulas, the structures that I've never really paid attention to before. And I realized that most people don't actually ask for what they want. They dilute things. They're a little bit cowardly. They're a little bit scared. If you want to hang out with someone, you'll go, oh, I'd really like to, uh, I'd really like to meet them. You won't actually say what you want. Because you'll find to be mm. laughed at. If I said to you, hey, you can meet anyone in the world and have uh, an hour with them, who would it be? You're not going to immediately want to tell me because that's revealing things about you. And some people may want to meet their mum again, you know, just for another hour with their mum. They may want to meet the Pope. They may want to meet a rock star, you know, but whoever it is, it means something to them. And people yeah. don't like to disclose things too close to them. So I, I wrote the book to get people to learn how to communicate, to learn how to uncover. And I joke, I call it, you're in a Sherlock, how to actually start peeling away what someone is saying to fully get to the root of what they mean. Because once you mm. get down to the core of why they want to do something and what it means to them, you can achieve anything. And I'm going to give you a story on this. We were in Palm Beach. I finished this year, 2020, was the end of like an eight-year contract with Sir Elton John. And so I worked with him for a long time. And I had a client contact Actually, let me rephrase that. I had a prospect. I had somebody contact me, a friend of a friend, and they said, hey, I want to meet Sir Elton John. So I said, okay, why is that? And he said, oh, because, you know, he's great. He's famous. Uh, one of the, the greatest uh, performers in the planet. Um, he's going to be dead one day and I want to photograph with him. That was honestly what he said. And I was like, oh, okay then. Well, yeah, thank you very much. I'll come back to you. And as you can imagine, I never did. There was no meat there. So then we get a phone call. One of my girls got it in the office. I think maybe about a month, six weeks later. And he says, go on the phone and he wants to meet Sir Elton John. And one of the girls said to me, I don't know, but it sounds like the other guy, you know, or maybe it's a friend of his because you haven't got back to him that he's trying a different angle. So can you talk to him? So I get on the phone. I'm like, hey, how you doing? He's like, hi, um, I'd like to meet Sir Elton John. So I'm like, okay, why? And the guy said, well, because he's one of the greatest singers on the planet. He's an icon. He's been around forever. Uh, and there's things. And it was the way he got uncomfortable at the end of it that I realized it wasn't the same guy. So I said mm. to him, what are those things? And I got really quiet 
real pause. And he came back to me and he said, when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to school and he used to pick me up from school. Never my mum, always my dad. It was our thing. As a young lad, all the way through into high school, my dad would take me to school and my dad would bring me back from school. Now, in the early stages in the car we had, we had a cassette player and there was a cassette stuck in the car and we would play it all the way there and all the way back. And it was Elton John. He said, and we would sing Elton John all the way there and we'd sing all the way back. He said, now, as the cars got better throughout the years, my dad kept this trend going by putting a CD in and would sing Elton John. And it was our thing. And in my teenage years, I was so embarrassed. I hated it, but we still did it. He said, my dad's been dead about 20 years. He said, but whenever I'm driving down the road and Sir Elton John comes on the radio, my dad is sat next to me in the car singing. He said, so for three to five minutes, every time Elton sings, my dad's back with me. Mm. Now that's a core reason. That's me. And had we just done what he wanted in the first place and gone, oh, Barry, this is Elton. You know, that would have been it. But once we had that meet, I could then go to Sir Elton John and go, hey, listen to this story. Now they met, they chatted, they hugged. Everything was great. The first guy we ignored because there was no core reason. There was no driving force. It was a superficial request. But when you're working at this mm. level, you don't want to listen to what the clients are asking for. You want to hear what they need, what they lust for, what they desire. And that's just by using your damn ears in your brain to try and decipher what are they trying to get to and uncovering the core reason behind it. Love that. And I appreciate you sharing the story. I think oftentimes we don't get what we want simply because we're afraid to actually open up and tell the story. He might've been embarrassed. He's like, oh, I don't want to tell you. It might be embarrassing. I, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, he could have had this whole element of like nerves and you would have never probably fulfilled, you know, the first guy might've had the same story. What if he had the yeah. same story? He just was too afraid to, to bring that up. You know what I mean? Like he, he wasn't authentic enough to say, let me share you my story. Let me, let me talk about the realness and, and what it means to me. And, you know, I think a lot of times it's just their fear to communicate what they want. Like you said earlier. And it's like, I think the biggest like when you said, what's the components of art of getting what you want or making things happen is overcoming that fear of saying, this is what I want, you know? And I think, you know, even applying that to a sales world, even with a customer, it's kind of like sometimes sales reps are even afraid to say, I want your business. Like I'm here because I'm trying to provide for my family. I want your business. And they, they walk out of the sale being like, oh man, I couldn't close that one. It's like, did you even ask for like, did, did the customer even know you were trying to close them? Like, you know what I mean? Like, did they even... They, was it even clearly conveyed um, or like, you know, you're talking in a business situation or, or recruitment situation. I mean, this comes up so much in our lives where there's no core purpose and, and there's no true authentic share of here is clearly what I'm trying to go after. And here's the meat and the why I'm trying to go after that. I love, I love that. Um, so what else, what else is in the, in the components of making things happen? Like, in order to make something happen, what else do you need? You need, to know, you need to know the reason. If I phone you up at 8 o'clock tonight, before you answer the phone, 
And before you get terrified, because you don't know why I know your, your phone number, but if I phone you up, the one thing that you can guarantee, now it doesn't matter if it's me, if it's your mum, if it's your best mate, if someone phones you at eight o'clock tonight, they want something. It's guaranteed. It could be a conversation. It could be a cup of sugar. It could be an appointment to be on your podcast. It could be a chat about coaching. It could be anything. It could be that they heard a great joke. Whatever it is, they want something because they've contacted you. That's an obvious. When you contact someone, people don't realize that. You don't realize that it's that bloody obvious. So when you contact someone and you want something, you've got to do two things. One, you've got to explain straight away, very quickly, why you're involved in that conversation. And here's the most important thing, why they need to keep you on the line, why they need to keep you in the, in the communication. So whenever you contact anybody, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, what's in it for them? If I contact Elton John and say, hey, Elton, I want this, 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 this. Why does he need to give it to me? Why, why should he even keep me on the phone? Why should he even answer the phone? So you've got to, and it doesn't matter if it's Elton John or someone that you're trying to sell a house to or someone you're trying to sell some encyclopedias to. You've got to give them a reason to keep you in that conversation. People don't do that. So if you're a salesman and you sell something, identify the five myths in that business and identify mm. the five problems that you solve. Let's say for my sake, you're selling, you know, diet tablets. You know, you walk up to someone and go, hey, you're in great shape. Would you like to be in better shape? Now, I haven't sold you the tablet, but I've got you thinking, is this something you would consider? If you do want mm -hmm. to be in better shape and it'd be easier to maintain, I've got a blue pill. Now you produce yeah. the solution. So you identify the problem. Mortgage and real estate. Hey, you probably don't want to apply for a mortgage because let's be blunt, those mortgage forms are horrible. But I have a solution. So you've identified the, the problem. You've, you've, how many times do you see on TV when they identify the problem, then they give you the solution? But most salespeople just go up and go, hey, how are you? Would you like some books? No, because mm. you haven't identified what the problem is. You know, hey, what do you do yeah. with your day? Do you, do you watch a lot of TV? How do you educate? How do you stimulate? How do you grow? Well, I don't get much chance to do that. Well, I have an answer for you. I have an encyclopedia. You know, you've got to identify the problem. Anyone that I've gone to, big or small, on the social or power scale, Every conversation I've got involved in, I've got to understand what's in it for you. This podcast, I'm here hoping to give your people some inspiration to make some action, to make you look really sharp by getting me on your podcast. In turn, they get to hear about me. Maybe they buy the book, whatever. But the point is, never walk into a conversation or visualize it as a room. Never walk into a room without identifying two things, what you want and what you bring to the party that's going to make you irresistible to the person there. Love that. And I think a lot of times 
we're pretty dependent on maybe a training manual or we're pretty dependent on, you know, uh, somebody hires us or, or tells us to go do something or, or a, a manager is like, Hey, I need you to go do this. And, and we kind of show up to the party, like, well, I'm just kind of doing my job or I'm just kind of like carrying the message. And they're not putting that conscious effort to say, wait a minute, before I lead, like you said, Hey, I've got these awesome books. It's like, Hey, there's a deficit of books and I've got awesome books like, or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm just saying it in, in, in your example. So I think that I see this over and over and over again. And, and, and it brings me back to when I wrote, I wrote a book called ABC's of closing. And I remember a, a guy was kind of coaching me through some writing techniques. Cause I never seen myself as a writer. I mean, you were a freaking doorman at a club. Did you ever think of yourself as like writing a book? You know what I mean? Oh, like, hell no. you know, it, yeah, like I'm the same way. I'm like, dude, I like failed out of English and now I wrote a book. So anyway, I, I got some coaching and he said, take the last line in your chapter and put it at the very first. He's like, that should be usually your ending paragraph of a chapter is where you're kind of summing up the point and you're kind of talking about here's the important nugget of like the chapter. He's like, put that at the front. And I noticed that I watched myself and the, and the chapters got much more interesting when I led with, here is what I want you to get. Here is what I'm bringing to the table in this chapter so that the person kept reading. And it, you know, it happens in books, it happens in videos, it happens in the podcast, it happens in sales techniques, it happens in life is where we oftentimes think we need to finish with the punch instead of start with the lead with here's what I'm going to bring. And this is why you want to keep listening to me. I love that. Um, yep, totally. so, so let's kind of shift gears a little bit communication seems to be one of your big messages. And obviously you talk, you know, you, you're, you've got an ear eye piercing in your eyebrow and a beard and a, you're this bald dude from London, yet you're jamming in the clubs, hanging out with the Elon Musk of the world. So you've had high, high, high level conversations. And then you probably hung out with some pretty weird people I'm assuming in life. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure there's some stories there. Um, what's your take on the world and communication today? Like, you, you seem pretty passionate about the concept of where the world's going with communication and, and what the problems are. Give us kind of your, your philosophy on communication. Well, in a simple, uh, simple answer, it's crap. Um, we are all crying because of this social distancing. Yeah, the simple fact is we started doing this nearly 20 years ago. We stopped having conversations with our next door neighbor and started putting on tweets. You know, we joined every kind of social platform to stop us being social. It, it, it's got worse. If you want to be arrested, then go into a coffee store, go into your local Starbucks, stand behind the person ordering the coffee, order your coffee, and then when they walk to the right to wait for that coffee, try and strike up a conversation with that person. Because this is what happens. I call it the cappuccino shuffle. They order that coffee. They take two steps to the right. God forbid they can be quiet or alone for those two seconds, the first thing they do is they pull out their phone, hold it with both hands like in a boxing stance and stare into it like a defensive mechanism. If you try and strike up a conversation with them, their elbows are in, their, their, their knuckles are up. The fact that they're holding a phone, their body posture is telling them, I'm in a defensive position. And they will react to you defensively. They will look at you trying to understand why you are trying to get into their, to their defense, and it will bother them. You cannot do it. It's very, very hard to do. 
I think we're getting bad at communicating. I am praying, praying that this uh, virus that we've all gone through will reset how we interact with people. I am praying we will have conversations. I'm praying we'll put the fucking phone down and talk to someone when we meet them, that we will shake hands, that we will uh, hug someone. That's what I want. I want the 80s. A good friend of mine, Jay Abraham, he wrote some phenomenal books in the, in the, in the 80s and 90s on communication and closing. And then during the early 2000s, everyone went, well, no, it's, that's a different world. We're in a digital world now. No, we're not. We're in a person world. We have not changed. How we get toilet rolls, we get them on Amazon. We don't need a bloody conversation on how we get toilet rolls. But we do need a conversation when we're buying cars, boats, yachts, travel, houses, watches. We need conversations then. We need people. And if you want to look at how bad we are at evolving, then look in the mirror. We're the slowest evolving technology in the bloody planet. We've only just got over freaking standing up. We are doing everything to replace us. Yet deep inside, we don't want to be replaced. We're pack animals. That's why we join things like Facebook groups, because we want to be part of a group. We want to belong. We want to, we want to unify with each other. So I'm hoping that we can get back to it. I'm hoping this virus has taught us that we need it. Um, if not, we're going on a slippery slope. You're, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, you're, you're dealing with the tribe and, you know, we have a Facebook group of 10,000 people and we've got an event where we pound our chest and we kind of fight the whole digital world in the sense of this is the face-to-face -face selling world. Like, you know how many digital marketing agencies and how many quick get rich, let me get you leads via my magic million dollar funnel is out there. Well, the people you're speaking to right now, they're sitting there going, I'm belly to belly, knocking on your door, kicking it in and saying, let's make a transaction like a real person. You know what I mean? And so that, that, that's what's, it's, it's fun and, and, and refreshing to hear um, somebody be like, guys, like we're still in the people world. And I think a lot of people in the door to door space, they get kind of nervous. They're like, man, is, is social media taking my job? And I go, You'll, your, your job is so secure because as long as you can show up to somebody's door or somebody's, you know, and sit there belly to belly and, and be personable and communicate and talk to them and build a friend, they will buy from you over some Facebook click funnel. You know what I mean? They're going to buy from somebody they like every time. So you, nobody's going to innovate you out of a job. Like as long as they're sitting in their home, you, you can talk to them. And you can get a deal like, and, and, and that's one of the, you know, we started this nonprofit called the door to door association. And, and one of the big emissions of this is to share with the world, like door to door is a very viable way to market door to door is a very important skill set to learn from a young age, just from the simple communication skills that come from it versus just sitting behind a video game and social media and then trying to create relationships. You know what I mean? Like, the things learned in door-to-door -door people are things that are very needed in communication. But I think what, why people in door-to-door -door struggle, like especially the younger generation coming into door-to-door -door and giving it a shot because they were never put in a situation where they had to like face confrontation. They had to face rejection. They had to have a hard conversation. They had to have a good conversation. They, you know, they were still relying on a text or a tweet or a Facebook post. You know what I'm saying? 
So yeah, I think 100%. that the fact that you, the fact that you're singing the song, like, dude, one of the missions that we have is to advocate face-to-face -face selling amongst the younger generation to help get them out of the freaking house and say, let's go learn a good trade. So I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're singing my tune, my man. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm definitely in the younger generation. I just happen to see the, the problem where society's going. Like you said, it's communication is one of the biggest problems and it's crap right now. And I think a lot of people that are on the fence and like, maybe this would be smarter if we just did this online. But yeah. It's less, work it's less headache maybe it doesn't mean better result it just means yeah you, you you're shying away you're going back into your freaking turtle show you're going back into like recluse mode of like i think i'm communicating but i'm really not like i don't know i just i just i'm i i you you hit a nerve man you hit a nerve that <laughs> sparked you that that uh got gets me passionate um so i guess yeah like what would you tell the rep so let's just let's just identify who i'm going to speak to there's a rep that is conflicted. I could do this better if I, you know, just did a Facebook ad and maybe door to door is too challenging. I don't like getting out here in the hot sun, dealing with all these stupid people that keep yelling at me. What would you tell that guy that's sitting there just getting his face kicked in? He's kind of conflicted. What should I do? What advice would you do? Well, the, would, would you there's give There's two things. If someone's looking for an escape and an excuse, let them. But if someone's really passionate but just getting beaten up and hasn't found that flow, that's a different person. Now, here's the bottom line. The world is turning transactional. And believe it or not, we don't like that. The world has turned into a transaction where you can bark orders at your car, your phone, you know, Alexa, Siri, uh, Amazon. If you don't believe me, phone up Amazon and go, hey, I'm thinking of changing my brand of toilet roll. Which one should I get? There's no phone number to be able to call. There's no one to be able to ask that question. The thing is, as human beings, when we see value in something, we want to understand it and then make the purchase based on education. You see, clients don't know what they don't know. That's your job. I can go and buy toilet roll, and then I can go, well, I bloody hate this one. Now I'm educated. And I go and buy another one. I go, I like this one. Now I'm going to stick with this brand because that's the one I prefer. We as salespeople are there to answer the questions and answer the problems that the client doesn't even know exist yet. So they need mm. us. We need to evaluate and to expose, hey, have you considered what's going to happen in two years' time when you still own this XYZ product? Hey, have you considered the ramifications of going with an alternative? Hey, you could get this today, and it will save you 60% of the other one that I'm talking about. Hey, and in two years' time, I'll come back, and I'll sell you the cheaper option again. Oh, and in another two years, I'll come back, and I'll sell you the cheap. Or oh, we can do it today. And I'll never see you again because you'll pay once and be happy forever. So have you ever thought of that? You've got to educate your client and you've got to educate them by understanding two things. One, what's the problem that they're trying to solve? And two, by exposing that you're credible and you care about the solution, not the checkbook. Love that. Love that nugget. Um, 
So we got to kind of wrap up, Steve. I've honestly, this has been heck. I'm not a billionaire. I'm not like we're 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 definitely at least a year or two away. So I'm clo- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Uh, I figured I'm going to plant that seed though. You know what I'm saying, Steve? So when you're, if you're still around, when I, when I hit, no, I don't, I, I don't have a goal that make a billion dollars, but I do feel like there's a, there's a lot of people out there that really are, are trying to figure out how to achieve more in life. And there's a lot of people out there that are saying that are living small that, you know, have their own element of riding in the formula one car. Everybody has their own bucket list. And yeah. it's interesting that you say that because I've started kind of checking off my bucket list recently. Like I just ran a marathon. Now I'm training to dunk a basketball. I'm doing my own little like elements of like, oh, I've always wanted to dunk, but I've never done what's required to go dunk. You know what I mean? I'm 5'10". I'm some white guy that was a little overweight. You know what I mean? It's like, I gotta, I gotta go, I gotta go figure that out. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make my own little like bucket list checks. And, you know, I also have found by networking, like what you've done by being the doorman, I think a lot of people underestimate the power of building that network. I mean, the network equity that you had to create for probably years, making these little micro connections and little like favors and little, you know, Hey, let me get you into this. Let me get you into this. I think a lot of people underestimate the power of a network. So I love that you, you brought that up and, and said, I'm going to find five rich people I'm going to surround myself with. I'm going to get to know these types of people. And I think a lot of people, they undervalue that, you know, we have a mastermind group called the expert circle. And I've been like, you know, people pay me to be in my mastermind, but half the time I'm like, dude, these people are way cooler than me. I just like hanging out with them. Like, this is like, I'm like, heck, I do this for free. Don't tell anybody I said that. But like, <laughs> like I'm like, I'm like, I, I technically should be paying my own dudes, but you know, I'm basically the host and it, 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 it's a privilege just to be in a circle of a bunch of high, high level CEOs. You know what I'm saying? And I, I found it to be true that that is a huge key to achieving what you want is your network. And then, like you said, asking for what you want and, and, and having a true meat of why you'd want that. And, you know, these are just simple components that I think so many people don't think through. And I've loved kind of just how you've mapped that out in the story about Elton John. That's it, it hit, it hit home, it hit home a lot. So, uh, um, any, any last, any last advice? Like if you had to give our industry, have you ever knocked doors? I guess I never asked you that. Like, do you yeah, ever do door to door? Believe it or not, I did encyclopedias, which is the yeah. classic. I did encyclopedias, and I did um, cake sales for a British cake company called Lions. And we would pick okay. on certain neighborhoods and go around the neighborhoods going, hey, you know, we're doing a special on these cakes. And, you know, would you like us to live, to deliver them once a month? And, you know, it was those kind of things. So I've done, I've done a few uh, door-to-door, uh, door-to-door. I've done a lot of telly sales um, and I will now, I will, I will still today, I will talk to a client and I'll be like, Hey, let's not spend time on the phone. I can be in your doorstep in an hour and I will jump on a motorbike and I will ride down to see them. Or I will say, look, I'm in Chicago. I've done this before where I phoned up clients going, Hey, whenever you've got time, let me know. Cause I'm often in your area. And I've had clients go, well, I've got time next week. And I'll be like, Hey, that's amazing. I'm in your area. And I'm not, but I'll jump on a plane and be in that area for that. Because the bottom line of it is you get more out of a face to face than you ever will with a phone call and ever will on an email. hundred percent. I love it. So if you could give advice to our industry, maybe the sales rep, maybe the owner, maybe the manager you pick, what, what, what one piece of advice would you give? 
understand the power you have with good communication. You know, I teach this in Sims Distillery, which is my online membership -y thing. Um, but I think communication is and will always be the only skill that you can't download an app for. Mm, 100%. 100%. Nugget. Okay. You guys heard it firsthand. This is Steve Sims. If you guys want to find more about Steve, go to his website, stevedsims.com. Um, Blue Fishing, Art of Making Things Happen. Um, you can go buy that online and uh, check out his podcast. Check out Steve. He's a he's an interesting man. I, I have loved I have loved just doing my homework on you and being like, okay, when I'm in the area, you're down in SoCal, right? Yep. I might happen to just oh, I'm happen to be in SoCal, <laughs> so I might hit you Good up. You. I might hit you up. Um, okay, dude, you're the man. Thanks for thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it.